Hello, my name is Declan Deneen. Welcome to Checkpoints. This is a show about video games, the people who play them and the people who make them. Each episode, a guest on the show talks about the games that have shaped their life in one way or another. Games that have inspired them, games that have forged connections, and games that have soothed wounds. My guest on today's episode is Violet Berlin. I'm very excited to welcome uh, Violet to the show. For, for people in the UK, for British listeners, they'll be very familiar with Violet. They probably uh, grew up watching her on TV. She was one of the presenters of the seminal video game TV series, Bad Influence. Uh, she also presented things like The Big Bang and uh, Game Pads on Bravo. And she, she worked kind of behind the scenes on several uh, kids' TV shows as a, as a researcher and a writer. And she has a ton of brilliant stories about that. And um, people outside of the UK, I don't know how how familiar they will be with Violet, um, unless they play Micro Machines 2, uh, in which Violet was a playable character. So you'll be delighted to discover that Violet is a real human being. And as you'll discover when you listen to the chat, she is amazing and insightful and fascinating. Um, it was a real, real treat to, to record. Uh, before we get to Violet, though, I have uh, an extra bonus guest right here at the start of the show. Um, it's a brief chat with Dr. Jennifer Hazel, um, who runs a, a non-profit organization called Checkpoint. Hmm. Uh, uh, Checkpoint is, uh, as I said, it's, it's a non-profit organization, and it kind of uh, it works at the, the intersection between mental health and video games, and particularly how uh, video games can be used as treatment in some cases to, to help people with certain mental health issues. Uh, she was a, a delight to talk to as well, and really interesting. I think there's... There's so much um, fascinating research being done uh, in 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 this field, and and Jen is definitely someone who's kind of a, a pioneer uh, in this. And and the reason I, I wanted to include it in this episode specifically was because uh, she's currently running a Kickstarter, which ends in four days on Thursday, I believe, uh, to to make a web series about all the things that that we talk about in this uh, brief interview. So, without further ado, please welcome Dr. Jennifer Hazel. I uh, am a medical doctor that specialises in psychiatry, and I founded Checkpoint. And see, this is this is contentious because I, my podcast is called Checkpoints, obviously, which I'm pretty sure is how I found out about uh, <laughs> no, <I know. laughs> your your Kickstarter. And I said, like, "Oh man, I need to find out what this is." Oh no, that's actually a really good idea and a really good cause that's really annoying i can't be angry about that the reason my show is called checkpoints is because that's kind of what it is it's i talk to people about the games that have meant something throughout their lives so why is uh, explain what your checkpoint is then <laughs> explain why your checkpoint is um so when, when we were when we were brainstorming names we we were trying to think of something that covered both realms so so not only video games but mental health simultaneously okay and we, we started thinking about the concept of save points as in like a space in the game that you were safe from the uh, threats that would otherwise be around you um and I, I really liked the the name checkpoint because it also has connotations of checking in Okay. And checking on oneself, so um, having that kind of 
regrounding implication but also it's something that it's it's a, a space and time and a point that you can look at yourself and be like hey how am I doing right now and because it was a term from a game that everybody can relate to um we thought that that would be perfect and then we got this artist who did our logo and she did just such an amazing job at really capturing that concept of of checking in but also it being like games at the same time because the c and the p kind of looked like um a speech bubble man it's really thought through as well it's so annoying <laughs> oh it all happened by accident no no it's fine but it it's works fine. so well no it I does think all the best things are accidents yeah no like it's obviously it's totally fine i don't mind at all so uh, i actually wanted to speak to you because you have you're currently running the, this kickstarter and there's like what a week to go now uh, if I am correct, we have six days and 12 hours and 49 minutes. Actually, Not no, that I'm counting. This actually, this will go out on Monday. So how long will that be? That's like four days then. Uh, do exactly what I just said, but take two days off. Right. Okay. Good. <laughs> good. <laughs> so right, what, what is it then? So what, what is the, the Kickstarter for? Like talk about what you're, you're doing. So our Kickstarter is for a web series called the Checkpoint Series, which will be a 16-episode segment tackling mental health issues using the power of video games. So we're, we're, we're hoping to create 16 episodes that are about uh, five to ten minutes long each, so okay. about 160 minutes of content. And so, so what is what, what will that feature? What will that look like? Uh, so... We're dividing it into two seasons, I guess, which both cover the topic, but they cover it looking from different directions. So the first season is more educational and it will take a look at different mental health issues using not only the perspective of mental health professionals who will come forward and give education, but also through the lens of people in the games industry that have lived experience. Okay. So we've got some really powerful names really big inspirational people in the industry coming forward and explaining look this is what i went through and this is also what i achieved and we feel that that helps break down that stigmatizing barrier absolutely um, and will hopefully help help some people in the audience to to abilities in themselves and give them the strength to reach out um the other part of the series is discussing from a very clinical and research point of view how games specifically can be used for mental health purposes so looking at therapeutic applications looking at the research behind it actually breaking down individual games and working out what it is about them and their characters that makes them so useful that is super interesting so like how did you you come to this then because you're like you're you're a doctor as you, as you said like have you always been into games or is this something that's kind of been revealed to you recently or oh no i'm i'm a lifelong gamer i remember when i was i think i was five when my mum got a snes for christmas from my dad um and we used to play super mario brothers together and um when link to the past uh Zelda and then Ocarina of Time came out and we had an N64. We played those together too. So this is something that's been with me forever. And it wasn't until I specialised in psychiatry that I realised that I could actually combine these two great loves. So I love mental health. I really enjoy 
assisting people in that way and also being there for them when they're at their most vulnerable and trying to to help people realize that things can get better and i and i love video games and for me personally video games have always been a source of joy and happiness and also a, a connection to a community connection to like-minded people and uh, and when i had this this revelation that i could combine those two things um, I just felt like the luckiest person in the world that I was able to do something that I love so much. So for me, it was a it was a very natural thing to try and do. And, and where did that sort of connection come from? Like, it, is there a lot of kind of professional research onto kind of the, the therapeutic use of, of games? Like, is it? I feel like that's probably a relatively new field, but maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, no, it, it, it's interesting actually to talk about the research journey. So back when, you know what like 25 30 years ago when video games were just starting to be a thing we're talking like tennis for two and the original arcade games yeah um research was actually really positive about games there, there was an immediately there was an immediate drive towards how could we use this for positive outcomes but then unfortunately um medical research takes a really long time and games accelerated much faster than research could keep up with them okay and they got more popular and more detailed and they started focusing on different themes the media and the way that research portrayed them became quite skewed towards violence and negative outcomes yeah and that that persisted for a long time until very recently where it's the tables have turned in a way and the clinical community have started looking at games as something that could be therapeutic they could be beneficial so that's something that's been coming up more and more and more um where i would still call us pioneers in that realm because they, it's it has been coming up but it's not super common yet yeah uh but the therapeutic applications in terms of you know why are games helpful and how can we use this for good they really are starting to to come more to the forefront and the reason that I got into that was I actually had a boss who um we we had a patient at, at some point and and this boss that I had was you know pretty uh pretty old school uh and he was like oh yeah this this patient plays video games and they're really terrible and you know they, they've made him really depressed and he's got addiction and and what do you think about that and I kind of responded very respectfully but in a way that I was like no you're completely wrong <laughs> and I just I just laid out all of the research that I'd read about to him and he was like hey well, that's really interesting and he took it with an open mind and he was like it would be really cool if you could we didn't say that those words because yeah. that's, that's very <laughs> that's very modern but he was like it'd be really interesting if you could talk about this at our um you know our uh, staff meeting that we have once a month uh, so I did, and people really enjoyed it. So it was something that I realised that there was a bit of interest in, even though it was quite new to the clinical community. Yeah, that like it's, it's such a fascinating field. Um, one of the things I'm quite interested yeah. in, like based on what you just mentioned, like you said, there was sort of research very early on, and then games sort of took a very kind of uh, uh, violent route, I suppose. You know, that that became kind of the conflict was the main verb you do in a video game you know but i mean mm. pr primarily because of you know certain limitations of technology and things but what i'm curious about is i i i i can think of probably a million therapeutic ways that that games can can help and i'm wondering if 
if the kind of the the skin so to speak like the fact that it's a violent game does that detract from its use or can just the process of playing a game like that still have still sort of have that therapeutic element is that a really clumsy question do you know what i mean i know exactly what you mean and it's a it's okay for being clumsy because it's a really hard question to ask and i think the reason that it's so hard to ask is that it's so hard to generalize games into a question like that when there's so many genres and so many styles of play yeah that how can you ask such a simple question when you've got to take into account well is the game first person or third person is it violent because you're using guns or because there's a melee aspect are you against other humans or are you against you know monsters like how how do you quantify that and I, th- I think the simple answer is is that we we really don't know but the research that we do have suggests that the only outcomes that actually increase aggressive thoughts and not necessarily aggression but short-term aggressive thoughts are when the violence that is used in game is used maliciously and what i mean by that is um the the classic example is your your grand theft auto style violence yeah. so like you know hurting innocent people just for the sake of it yeah you're not kind of trying to sort of protect yourself or you know protect something else you're just being violent for the sake of being violent exactly and what you say there is key when you're trying to protect someone else and yourself for example the classic one being like a a a war game like a call of duty yeah it actually increases pro-social outcomes so after playing the game and looking after your comrades, particularly when it has like an online multiplayer element, people feel more social afterwards. So it's not necessarily the violence. It's more how you're using it and what your motivations are. That's so interesting. In, in, yeah. Because I'm sure most people <laughs> would assume that was the other way around, like after, a, especially Call of Duty, because that's, you know, kind of fairly or not, you know, it, it's known for having quite a an angry online community um, and the thought of everyone leaving that thinking, oh, I feel much more uh, closer <laughs> to my, my, my brothers and sisters around the world. Like that, that's not what people would assume, but I guess I, the I research says different. I can't speak about the community. That's a tough one, but certainly in, in um, controlled environments, that's what we found. That's so interesting. And like, what are, like, if you can give like a specific example of like, Mm. like you mentioned as part of the the web series you will have like specific like game by game kind of breakdowns like is there a kind of a a good a good game that can illustrate like the use of of games yeah so there's two ways to think about it the the easier one i guess is thinking about games that are being produced specifically for that purpose okay so games that are being made to treat mental health issues and a really good example if you haven't heard of it is there's a game being made in new zealand called sparks with an x okay and it's a game that is uh is i guess i guess the closest genre you could think of would be an rpg right that's designed to help treat uh mild to moderate depression and anxiety in teenagers and That's they've taken very specific. That, yes. They've taken it through clinical trials and it's shown to be as effective as psychological therapy. That's amazing. So just, just, yeah, exactly, exactly. So th- this is it's one of the first therapeutic games that's been taken that far and that you can you can 
physically track the progress of that development and also the therapeutic impact that it's having. So that's really exciting because it's kind of almost like a proof of concept for the rest of us. Yeah. Um, and then you've got games like um, Super Better, which is uh, game style CBT as an app. And again, that's got a lot of great research behind it. And this field is getting bigger and bigger. And then there's the other aspect, which is what we call off-the-shelf games. So your commercially available games that weren't ever designed to be useful for mental health, but people have found that they are. Yeah. And that's what we're really interested in at Checkpoint. And that's what we're doing research into right now is why are particular games useful to particular people and what kind of different attributes have to match up to make that thing happen. And so do you have like answers to that or is this just like an ongoing <laughs> research? Or do people have to uh, back the Kickstarter to find out? <laughs> I should say that, shouldn't I? Yeah, back the Kickstarter and you find out. No, we, we don't have anything evidence-based yet um, because research, as I keep saying, like it, it takes a really long time. Mm -hmm. But I do have some ideas anecdotally and from informal surveys that we've done. And what it looks like um, so far is that it depends what a person's vulnerability is as to what game might be very helpful to them so for example if someone is uh, a person that suffers with depression and they get quite um, poor motivation and they might you know feel very down a lot of the time we found that games that are incredibly immersive and games that have a very rich narrative aspect to them and the classic ones that come up again and again are Mass Effect and Dragon Age people find those really useful because it's an opportunity to uh, immerse themselves in an alternate world and to take their mind off of what's going on for them at that point so that they can reground themselves and come back with a bit more inspiration and a bit more energy. And people have persistently stated that over and over again, that they find that sort of process really useful to them. That's amazing. I know, right? <laughs> Man, that's so exciting. Imagine going to your doctor and being prescribed a video game. That'd be the best. I, I reckon it's going to happen real soon. You can you can go to your doctor and get prescribed electronic CBT, as in like a psychological therapy you can do online. That That is a thing, like right now. Oh, man, that's so exciting. So, it's such an exciting <laughs> field. Like, it's honestly, it's so, it's so amazing. Um, okay, so, so let's uh, talk about it. So how can people support this? What can they do? like pitch pitch it so for the next what it's coming out on monday yeah so four days the next four or five days you can back our kickstarter we've got some really cool rewards that we've we've tried to uh keep our costs down so that we can use the available funds to make the best web series we possibly can but within the limitations we've managed to create some really in exciting incentives that hopefully will uh, interest people in becoming part of the series itself and beyond that you can continue to support checkpoint with by submitting your stories by sharing our web page and our twitter accounts on social media to kind of spread the word about what we're doing because that community is what has got us where we are and it's so powerful and of course we always accept donations and in-kind contributions but i think more importantly is is voicing your support in a an open and verbal way because the more people that get behind this it's not only useful for us but it's useful for everybody 
because it's saying hey mental health is important and i'm going to talk about it and that's what's going to help people in the long run amazing um i think i think that'll that'll do just fine jen that was that was really good <laughs> like i honestly i could i i would happily talk for ages because i've got so many questions about it but i i'll uh i'll leave you to get on with the rest of your day okay it's uh, it's always a pleasure that was super interesting right um if you'd like to support the series there's a link in the show notes or you can just search for the checkpoint series on kickstarter uh, it's four days to go. If you have the the money, please do um, consider funding it. I think it'll be I think it'll be brilliant. Um, I hope you like the little kind of extra interview at the start. I'll maybe do it more if uh, if people are into it. If you are, or if you just have any other questions, you can email the show. It's checkpointspodcast at gmail dot com, or it's at checkpoint show on Twitter, or it's checkpoints podcast on Facebook. It's very important to have consistent branding. Uh, there's also a Patreon too. Um, if you have the money and the inclination, all support is very gratefully received. Goes back into making the show as good as it possibly can be. Uh, that's patreon.com forward slash checkpoints. I'll, I'll keep this relatively brief uh, because there's always a, there's already been quite a long introduction. But thanks as always for downloading. Um, I really appreciate it. Rate and review on iTunes. Tell your friends. All that good stuff. I'll be back next week with a new episode and a new guest. But until then... Let's get on with the show. Um, well, let's let's uh, let's formally begin then, uh, Violet. I'll do the I'll do the intro. So, uh, Violet, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for coming on. Um, if you if you don't mind, would you introduce yourself? Okay. Well, my name is Violet Berlin. Um, for the last 10 to 15 years, I've been writing for immersive and interactive projects. Um, That's mainly for things like museums and galleries and brand experiences and things like that across the world. Uh, My specialism is writing for a dwell time between um, like a really short, really short things, basically. So uh, I write short form media. Okay. What what does Um, that mean, dwell time? Does that mean like... For a short dwell time. So, for example, um, between something like one and six minutes or something like that, basically, as long as you could do something while standing up. Okay, okay. (laughs) You're puzzled, aren't you? No, no, that's proper, like, museum insider talk, I feel. (laughs) Dwell time. Yeah, exactly. Uh, But it's also as long as you'd watch something on YouTube. Okay. Or it's as long as, you know, it's a short attention span. Um, And it also matches, like totally, completely matches with what I did before, which is probably what people listening to this more know me for, which is I used to uh, work in uh, television. And when you work in television, everything or all the magazine shows and the sorts of shows I did, everything is for between like one and four or five minutes. You know, you have a load of different items on the show and they're all really short and you kind of get something across in a really short amount of time. So that's kind of evolve from what I did in television to what I do now in kind of um, more sort of modern sorts of media like interactives and immersives and all sorts of different kinds of screens so that's that I'd, uh, I'd never thought I made that connection before but that, that makes total sense I'd never thought about maybe that like I always blame video games for my uh, my rotten attention span but maybe it was kids tv growing up 
probably both, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what did it, yeah. I remember uh, back in the 90s reading a Neil Stevenson novel. It, it might have been Snow Crash, but it might not, uh, where the main character says that they, rem- obviously it's written in the future, looking into the future, that they remember a time when the television shows were longer than the adverts. <laughs> And back then, I thought, sort of thought, well, it's sort of heading this way. And now I find myself part of that future. <laughs> so, yeah. That is, that is amazing. Um, so what are, you, what are you working on, like, right now? What, is, what are your current projects? What are you up to? So, um, well, there's a few things. Like, quite often, the stuff I'm working on, I'm not allowed to talk about because it's under, like, an NDA, non-disclosure okay. agreement. But... Um, I can tell you a bit. I'm one of the work, things I'm working on. I'm working on a massive space museum. So I'm writing all the games and interactives and films and immersive and planetarium shows and stuff like that. Oh, amazing! For a, an enormous new space museum. Where, where is that? Um, it's in. Um, uh, uh, it's in the Middle East. It's in Kuwait, and it's the biggest museum project in the world. So, uh, yeah, I love space. I'm really and, disappointed um, that it's not in the UK, but that's fine. Why, why, I know. Why we, was it going to be in the UK, though? No, really? it wasn't. Of course not. <laughs> I was getting a bit too... Uh, well, bit I do stuff excited. in the UK, too. So um, I'm, I've been working for the Imperial War Museum. Um, uh, a couple of years ago, I did a lot of films and interactives for their First World War galleries, and I've been doing stuff for other galleries for them, films mostly at the moment. That's the, anyway, like... that's the kind of thing I do, anyway. Yeah. So all of that stuff, like, that's... Like it's, it's so interesting, but it's also you know quite in depth. Like, do you are you just an interested person? Like, do you know a lot about a lot of these things that you do before you get into them, or do you just learn while you're writing things for them? Does that, that make sense? That, yes, of course. And that is the best question because that's the absolute key. Because what I really love the most about my job is that I get to meet all the great curators and experts behind everything so for example like I say oh I'm writing writing a film for the Imperial War Museum I mean you know I'm not an expert on war yeah (laughs) you wouldn't really trust it if it was just like me coming (laughs) up with it would you so um you get to work with like you know professors and curators um uh, over the years I've like been behind the scenes at some of you know our greatest institutions like wandering around like the, the like the hundreds of thousands of butterfly butterfly specimens at the natural history museum oh, man. Um, once uh the at the, the same museum the curator the but of botany uh was showing me like i remember he was showing me like this something that darwin had found on his voyage in an old drawer and then he was going through it and he went oh what's that oh it's a mummy's finger how did that get there uh, oh, that must have been from like 50 years ago when we were part of the British Museum. So literally, <laughs> literally I handled a mummy's finger, you know, in a drawer next to a Darwin specimen, you know. And, um, uh, you know, just, you know, experts on the Romans and the experts on, um, you know, the ancient Chinese. I Last summer I worked at the British Museum on um, on the big Egyptology exhibition, Sunken Cities. And I just get such a thrill out of meeting these people who just know 
the latest and the most in-depth stuff about like the whole universe it's the best so, isn't it like anyone who knows like just tons about something is yeah. just my favorite people in the world yeah they just yeah. And any sort of pundit or not <laughs> pundit isn't maybe a bad word for it but like i, I the reason i say pundit is because i watch i don't really watch a lot of sports but i like watching sports punditry i like people getting passionate about stuff i find it really really engaging so even though like <laughs> stuff like egyptology for instance for some reason yeah. That's never grabbed me. I was never yeah. a kid, like, obsessed about that. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure once you start diving into it and speaking to people who, who do think like that, you know, it, it's you're going to yeah. get caught up in the whole thing. How can you not? So which kind of – so which um, expert or, you know, what department of, a, you know, a museum or a gallery or anything would you like to meet then? Oh, I don't know. That's a tricky question. Um, mm. Do you know, I've got a real thing for maps. I'd really like to get, <gasps> dig back into, like, cartography um just the way the way the sort of the world shapes the maps and then the maps shape the world over time and like maps from different countries and stuff did you go to that there was um a massive exhibition about three or four years ago at the british library and that was maps and i didn't know i didn't know that incredible like the people who drew the maps in their country would be like look biggest on the map oh, of course yeah painted of course. in the brightest colors and 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 how they portrayed everything uh it's you know it's totally yeah political and and tells you so much yeah no that, that sounds like a good one i haven't done maps but one of the best ones i did do um and i keep coming back to the british museum i've done about 50 different places but it's kind of one of my favorite i have to say was i was writing um, an animation about clocks and watches okay uh, again at the british museum and i walked into this room to find out the information i needed and there were three curators of old clocks and watches in this room, like all sitting around to tell me about it. And I felt like, and I was surrounded by these like old, you know, watches from hundreds of years ago and like bits and parts and all that sort of stuff. And it felt like I was like meeting three time lords like in this <laughs> back room and, and like they knew everything about time, you know. Like. Oh man, that's so exciting. But have you always had that? Like, since this is a show, we'll, we'll, we'll go back. Like, did you always have this kind of interested nature? You know, we're always digging into things. Uh, oh. No, I, I don't think I did. I, I think I developed it. I was like, I was really away with the fairies when I was quite young and didn't really notice anything around me, I don't think. It's something that I realized that i had but i've always had a curiosity but perhaps yeah. it wasn't about the world around me but it was about other things um and it is just something that uh i developed or i discovered that i had wh- when i left university i guess or when i went to university even i don't know when i was a bit older it's not funny yeah that is i would like although to be fair like if if you if you didn't have like university is just one of the best things it does is just focuses you on a specific point and mm. re- i think really digging into one thing makes you sort of more aware of how much there is in everything else you know you're like man i'm just learning like i did english so i'm just learning about <laughs> i'm just learning about books like whatever that, that's not yeah. what i mean but like there's so much to it so much theory so much like analysis and you're like man imagine this in everything which it definitely yeah. is from from Pokemon uh, to astrophysics, people have gone deep. I think you're right. And um, I'm interested to know which um, parts of English you did, because I did English. I, I did, but I did um, Anglo-Saxon and the, you know, the early, really early English. 
And that was like a massive revelation to me that taught me all about kind of history and, and manuscripts and, and trying to connect with how we were the same, you know, a thousand years ago. What are the connections between people a thousand years ago and today? So what, what which sort of parts of English did you drill into at university? I, the, the, the stuff that really blew my mind was like I'd always been I've always been quite sciencey, you know, quite quite maths and, and science. So like for for my levels, I did English, but I also did physics and biology. Like I was, mm. just, I, I was kind of wavering like which way I was going to go. But I loved stories. I've always loved writing stories, so that I'll do English. Um, and the stuff that I, I, the most like I got of it was like contemporary analysis and like the semiotics and the the maths of language and how language was an invention and getting back into um, oh, what's the word? linguistics basically like structural yeah. linguistics and stuff like the yeah how how language is a thing that is created and how it interfaces with culture and all that stuff i, I really loved all that as a really like uh, sitting by a window staring into space just thinking really hard about something you can't quite grapple with like i yeah, loved all that i did a bit of that as well and i loved it but i couldn't quite uh I couldn't quite be Anglo-Saxon in runology when I came to take my options, so there you go. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> let's do let, let's do lessons of video game stuff then, Violet. So, if you can remember, what was uh, your very first experience of a video game? Well, it depends what you count as a video game. I, so I'm going to say we can be pretty broad. Going back to the very beginning because I grew up with no television. Okay, was that a, a political or cultural you know, choice? Uh, was not by me. Not, not by, by you, me. no, obviously. <laughs> what kid would make that decision? Uh, yeah. <laughs> what crazoid. <laughs> um, um, uh, no, my parents were you know, highly religious, basically. Okay. And uh, so I just had to spend my whole life going to church when I was growing up. Which sort of, just like regular Christian Christian. Church? <laughs> Christian yeah not even an exciting cult or anything <laughs> um but uh so we didn't have a television for some reason they thought that we shouldn't have a television and where was this just to give it a, a setting in London okay yeah yeah um so but there was but I did have a calculator <laughs> and <laughs> really painting a lovely picture here so you could, delightful you could write picture of my... rude words to yourself <laughs> exactly eight double o eight s or whatever um but um I had this calculator and it had this amazing game on it and I don't know if anyone or you had a game anything like this on your calculator sounds like a pretty but cool it, calculator it, a it, was, <laughs> it was better than no television um <laughs> was sitting staring at the wall we had a fish tank um so the numbers would come up and it would say maybe eight and then you and this is my I might have remembered this game wrong but from my memory you had to bash you had to then tap something eight times to get it to eight okay and then it would and then, and then that would cancel out the eight and then it would say like five and then you would have to do the same thing and uh, I can just remember like lying on the floor for like hours playing this game and I got so good at it that um I, basically I could play it and it got sped up it got faster and faster and faster yeah um I got so good at it that I, I had to decide when to stop it. it it couldn't beat me by the end <laughs> so, 
<laughs> and so can you imagine how difficult it is to stop when you're not being beaten? You're just lying there. You're just slave to this game. And you have to keep playing it. But I was such I had such sort of fast reactions. That's the, do you know, my immediate thought of that was it, it makes me think of uh, uh, the Karate Kid, right? And Mr. Miyagi and he's doing wax on, wax off, paint the, paint the house and stuff. And he, <laughs> he's inadvertently learning to become a, a karate master. So with that game... You're essentially training to be the world's greatest track and field player. Like, you could be anybody. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, I was lousy at track and field, so... Um, you, could only, yeah. you only had the one hand. That was it. You didn't have the, the double movement. Uh, so, yeah, it's amazing what you'll do when there's, like, nothing else going on, isn't there? But I did like it. I did love it. And I, and I, I think what I got from that game was what you get from a lot of games, which is that sense of being in the moment and that sense of flow. Mm-hmm. Um, and I used to practice the piano a lot when I was younger. I used to play the piano an awful lot. And I would also just really seriously like playing scales and things because it was just that thing where you had to get it sort of exactly even, exactly in a certain, you know, play it exactly a certain way. That sort of flow and, and pacing and and, and, and uh, being in the moment and like not thinking of anything else, like really channeled. Um, yeah, so I think that was setting me up for my lifetime of video games but i i didn't get to play um anything but were you like else. were you aware of it did you have like pals that had games and i mean you you must have been uh i i wasn't really aware of um other kind of console games and well there wasn't i don't know what there was i can't couldn't even tell you what was around um i did once get given um a bit later a game and watch as a gift oh, which okay. i loved to bits you had to um uh, put out fires in a burning building by walking up and down a ladder yeah and I love. Do you know that one? I do. Yeah, I do. Ah, well, I love that, and I, and I played that loads. And isn't and, then you have to like save people with a trampoline as well on the other screen? Oh like, yes, you do. Yes, you yes, yes, away. yes. Oh, it was. It was good, wasn't it? It's not. Yeah, just yeah. Me. No, I mean, I mean, no, probably not. But uh, at the time, they were amazing. Mm, mm. And um, I do remember going to the chip shop and seeing Space Invaders machines. And absolutely dying to play them, and I would have loved to play it, but I would never have done that. Number one, I, it was expensive. I, the thought of you know putting what I mean ten p or whatever, but you know still money into something like that for a short go. But I guess probably as much as that or more was that they were just always surrounded by boys. So you know you would have you, you would have had to be a very confident yeah, yeah, absolutely. person indeed to like just walk up, you know, and just do that when you've never played it before or, you know, on your own in front of a load of blokes. So, mm. I mean, I, I I would be nervous of doing that as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Although weirdly, one of the few times that I ever got like properly bullied uh, at an arcade was, was by uh, some teenage girl. I was probably like about 11 or 12. I can't remember what I was playing, probably Street Fighter or something. And uh, she just came and literally just like shoulder checked me off the machine and said, "No, it's my go now." <laughs> <laughs> I, and I didn't know what to do. I was like, "Well, she's much bigger than me. Um, I, I'll just walk away, I suppose." <laughs> I should have just done that, shouldn't I? <laughs> <laughs> you should have. Yeah, you should have. Um, so, so when did you like? Did you manage to convince your parents to get some sort of home computer? Like, when did you? How did you scratch that itch? Um. So. Well, I didn't really. We just played board games. And um, and so I basically, we think, I was, I didn't get a TV till I was working in TV. So I what? didn't have a TV. Yeah. 
um, so I didn't, you know, because I then went to university and you can't, I couldn't afford a TV at university, you know, you're just li- you're living in student digs and yeah. I, I guess partly I wasn't even used to having one. I suppose, so yeah. So I couldn't have a console and, um, but. but like, I, I, I'm, I've got so many questions about this because. Like I, I did know a few people who didn't have a TV growing up, but they would they would get access to them, um, and it didn't last. It never seemed to last once they got to teenagers. The fact that you you got until university, I'm just thinking. I mean, I saw them occasionally. Like, but I'll go to my grandma's and see, you know. So I, I'd be I just think excited. of cultural, like the broader cultural world, because yeah. you know this is pre-internet, so mm-hmm. TV was the main source of like a shared culture. So you would have yeah. like missed out on so much of that. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would specifically go in to my grandma's to watch TV when Doctor Who was on. Okay. Because like, I was completely, you know, obviously it's Doctor Who. Yep. And when I was a, a bit younger, because I'm until I was 10, uh, uh, it was just us, me and my sisters and my mum. And then we had a TV. I mean, you know, who'd bring up children on their own without yeah. a television? But from when I was 10 and my mum married again, that was when we didn't, you know, from consciousness, if you like, when you really start noticing things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was when I didn't have a TV. And, um, but my grandma lived nearby, so we, you know, we, I could continue to watch Doctor Who. And, um, but I didn't go to, you know, didn't, didn't, it's not like now. I mean, I mean, maybe it's London, but it's like, I didn't, I wasn't around friends' house. You know, I didn't really know people who lived nearby and stuff. I don't know. I live in London. It was just, you went into school, you saw your friends at school and then you went home. Yeah. Oh, and of course, remember, I was at church half the time. Right. Okay. So, of course. Um, so, yeah, I didn't see, you know, I would see stuff, but I wouldn't see that much, if that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So you do miss the broader culture. Definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So after university then, you. so how did you, how did you then end up in TV without, like, that just seems like such a leap. I know it's bizarre, isn't it? Yeah, how did so that because, happen? So, um, what, what, you know how you said that you love stories, and you know that's why you wanted to do English. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, you know, ditto. And my sort of goal was to write books for children and young adults. That's what I wanted to do. Okay. So when I went, I was leaving university. I thought, oh well, but you don't just like leave university and start writing these books. I need to do something while I'm writing these books. What would be the best thing to do? Oh, I know. Um, if I worked in, I don't know, children's television, I would get to, like, know what children, you know, be around my audience. That's how I saw it or, you know. Uh, so that makes sense. I decided it's just, it's, it's to go for a bold, job in, um, But it's kind of naive. It's just naive. I suppose, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I hadn't got a TV. And, like, you know, I said I was, like, a bit away with the fairies in my own world. Yeah. It was just like not acknowledging what the world's like. That's what it was. <laughs> it's the best so, way to be often. <laughs> it's the best way to be. It's how you get things done. You just blind <laughs> optimism. So I'll just do that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just don't acknowledge what the world's like. Yeah. You'll stay happy and focused. <laughs> <laughs> well, clearly it worked in this instance. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, the first hurdle was like finding a job obviously because people don't advertise for like really or they didn't back then yeah. there weren't like websites with kind of you know graduates needed but I had a blinding piece of luck so even though I hadn't really sort of looked into it when I was at university I sort of waited till I left yeah I um was chatting to a friend of mine uh when I was just temping in London after I'd finished my degree looking around and she said that she had, I think, been on a 
children's TV show playing the violin or something. Okay. Um, um, it was something like that. I can barely remember it. Anyway, I was chatting to this friend and she said, oh, I still know the people on this TV show. And I, for some reason, I think they were looking for some people to work on it. And so I said, oh, let me know who they are. So I wrote to them and luckily they were looking for people and they interviewed and they interviewed me. And I, I can't, for the life of me, really think why he gave me the job, except that I think he'd had quite a few media students come and apply. Okay. And he felt that, you know, um, I think he thought that I had original ideas. So they ask you for lots of ideas, and I had to write um, write a short drama and do all these things. And what and was the like? Thought, what was the job though? Oh, it was um kind of junior uh, junior researcher. Okay. On um junior researcher on the wide awake club oh cool do you remember that i do yeah wackaday mm. uh yeah i worked on wackaday after that so the wide awake club was saturday morning one with michaela strachan and tommy boyd and it was like lots of short you know short as, as discussed two and three minute you know pieces of this mm. that and the other and i think he got me in to do some of the stuff like i did i used to write the children's news slot because we used to do news, you know, news and kind of news roundy type thing. And I did stuff about animals, you know, used to track down, I don't know, bats or whatever. And we'd have the Batman come in and you'd talk about bats. And I'd do, uh, I'd book the, um, I'd look after the music artists, you know. So it was a really broad ranging job, yeah. just doing this, that and the other, you know, working out, doing the science experiment, whatever it was, you just had to get stuck in. And then after I'd done that for a couple of months, I um, I got moved to Wackaday full time, so that was a trial by fire, and so then I was responsible for like writing it, writing the little short animations that were drawn, um, kind of getting the contestants in for Mallet's Mallet, um, uh, making the gunge. You know, I got my own recipe. Have you got um, your own guns recipe? <laughs> this sort of thing everyone whoever does it just makes it up themselves there's like no law nothing gets passed on you just get thrown <laughs> at the deep end and you just do it yourself and then you have nightmares every night you go to bed that you're going to wake up um beyond seven o'clock and when anyone else is late for work that you know they're just a bit late for work but if you're late for work you're late for live tv yeah absolutely so, um, <laughs> so it was a bit yeah so i i basically um went from never having had a television to making television in like the blink of an eye it was um it was intense yeah I have so many questions um the gunge that that, that fascinates is that why is that why we haven't had like the people don't really do gunge anymore is it just health and safety now because there was some <laughs> noel edmonds had an errant ingredient in one of his recipes and that was it they're like not no more gunge what it can't be trusted oh my i didn't say yours i specifically <laughs> said noel edmonds Although I'm sure he didn't mix his own. I'm sure he got someone else. I don't know. It's funny. Um, I've, like, I have known other TV, children's TV researchers since, and we do discuss gun recipes. Um, but I don't know. Maybe the secret's lost. Maybe that's why they don't, don't do it anymore. Maybe, they need to, maybe I should do it. That could be a website or something, couldn't it? Yeah. And also, I, as you were talking about Wackadoo there, I was thinking, I was obviously thinking about Timmy Mallet, and I don't think... Like, is he always like that? Like, I've, I don't think I've ever seen Timmy Mallet not be, like, Timmy Mallet. Like, is, yeah. there, is there, like, a Krusty the Clown kind of backstage persona <laughs> of Timmy Mallet? I you don't, don't know what I'm allowed to say. No, okay. <laughs> um, I 
tell you later. Okay. Okay. <laughs> no, he's he is he is um he is like he is on TV, but um he comes across as bossy on TV, doesn't he? Yeah, I suppose. But he was yeah. he was wacky, so he was very non-threatening. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, well, okay. So it, you you get this TV, then you're working in TV. You're like, was that like a a defining moment of your independence? Like, I'm getting a TV. Um. No, well, no, because I was so busy working in TV, and you can imagine the hours. Yeah. That I didn't really have time to watch TV. I mean, I think we I did have a TV by then, obviously. Mm-hmm. But um, I say obviously, uh, but um. I don't think I had much time to watch it at all. Yeah. So, so when did when did sort of games come back into it? Then was that a thing you thought about when you get a TV? You were like, oh, cool, I can finally play a bunch of games now. Uh, no, because I still wasn't really aware of console games. So, um, how that came in was with my next job. So, I went from um, working in. Whack, working on like whack a day yeah to uh i then i was working in the office one day and they were auditioning for tv presenters for a new show that the company was going to make up in um granada uh for a new satellite company called b sky b okay so do you remember the square reel i do yeah i do so one year before it became just Sky. No, it's called BSB, sorry. And then it was B Sky B, wasn't it? Oh, so it was course, BSB yeah, yeah. and then it was Sky and then they came together and they made B Sky B. And um, they were auditioning that the company was going to make this mag- kids magazine show for this new channel. And one of the presenters didn't turn up for an audition. So the head of the company was like, oh, we haven't got someone to fill this slot. And he just looked at me and he said, oh, why don't you have a go? <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh and like my stomach, you know, turned to jelly. But it was kind of like, how can you turn that down? I mean, how can you you know, how can you not accept that dare, if you like? Yeah. And I'm sure like the the way you were describing like working on these shows, everybody is kind of doing a bit of everything. So it's just like, oh sure, I'll just get in front of the camera. It's no it's not a difference. We're all still doing stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you're in that environment, exactly. So, um, so I did that and then they, I got the job. So I then moved to Manchester and did this job. Now the thing about this job, we are getting to the games now. So was that it was like two hours twice a week of live magazine show. So okay. it's loads to fill, but it was early satellite. So there was no money. Probably why they gave me the job as presenter. Cause I also <laughs> had to research and write and all that sort of stuff. There were other presenters on the show who just turned up, like um, Michaela Strachan and another guy called Simon. But I was the one that kind of worked in the office all week and then like presented stuff too, like like so like the expert one, if you like. Yeah. In the very loose sense of the word expert. And one of the slots that we decided to put on that TV show was video game reviews. I say with a guy called John in the office whose nephews played Nintendo, and so he said, "Oh, all the kids are playing these. We should be reviewing these." And so that is how I came to, I guess, present what I think is probably, unless you can tell me I'm wrong or anyone knows I'm wrong, the first video game reviews on British television. So that was back in something like 1991 or something like that, I think, 1990 even. 
Yeah, and I yeah. can't I can't imagine anything before that. Mm. Um, yeah. Maybe there would have been something on like a Tomorrow's World episode or something, but it wouldn't have been like a review or it would have just been, look at this new technology. So um, I was given these consoles. I was given an NES and a Master System, and I think there was an Atari ST, and there might have been, I don't know, is it likely that there was a Commodore 64? I suppose exactly. it could have been. I know yeah. they they both I had quite long tails, like they were mm. around for a while mm. after they were a bit rubbish. I definitely remember like putting tapes into machines. So I think that That's was some hole awesome. that you were just given, like gifted here. <laughs> no. So I was given all these um uh you know, consoles and stuff and basically told to do like a review slot. So I was very excited to have them all, obviously. And I decided that the best way to do it was to, you know, get them round to uh, kids, get the kids to play the games and come on and talk about the games. Okay. Because it's like, you know, it was really good. What you could do in satellite TV, they didn't do in mainstream TV, was basically give kids airtime. And that's what we were hoping to do on this show. Right. And um, obviously, I didn't really know much about games and was really busy, like doing hours of other television. So I wouldn't have that much time to kind of work out that much about it. So uh, it was a really good idea just to get kids to give their opinion on these games. So um, basically, I got different kids to come on and talk about the games. But uh, in order to like interview them about the games and know what was going on, I took the console home to play it myself. Of course. And I became completely and utterly hooked and that's how i started playing video games so did you just forget about the kids then you're like no i'll do all the reviews it's fine just give me all the games <laughs> well no because it's like because i wasn't obviously wasn't very good so it would have taken me quite a you know it would have been quite a chore from a from the get-go just to kind of start playing lots of games and getting quite far and knowing about them or having anything to say about them yeah yeah, yeah. so my obsession was with my first obsession was with Castlevania. So that was the first game, really, that I just could not put down. Which and one was, was it? Was it like a, like a NES one? Yeah, the NES. Castlevania on the NES. Okay. And, like, you know, the ballet of, you know, Simon Belmont, extinguish the candles and kind of duck and jump at the right time to get up the stairs the creepy music and I was like completely rubbish at it and um, <laughs> you know I do the same screens over and over again there was a really heavy smoker back then and I can remember that I would like spend the whole evening not smoking because I every time I finished um you know or died every time I died which would be after a few screens I would think oh my heart would be pounding and I think oh, I have to go and you know go and have a, have a smoke and I think no 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 just one more go and even like even that, even my craving for nicotine would not tear me away from that game. Like, I'd, they like, should have put that on the box, like, better than nicotine, kids. <laughs> <laughs> and it was brilliant. And I think it also helped that, like, because I was like, oh, at the same time, I was having a massive crash course in television. Like, at that time, I was being sent off to make films and stuff, like, with film crews, because yeah. we had, like, a really small team, as you know. And But I had hardly even watched any films, as you can imagine. And I barely even knew, knew what a film looked like. I mean, I didn't know about cuts or anything. Like, I was sent off with a camera crew to make films. This is it insane. Sounds, it sounds insane, doesn't it? Um, I think they probably just couldn't imagine that I wouldn't know that. And I can remember, like, getting together with the, the show's puppeteer and 
sitting in front of some rushes that I'd shot with a camera crew, and he was telling me how to put them together. And that was the puppeteer on the show. (laughs) 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 But luckily, I mean, you know, everyone around you was was such professionals because it was Granada TV. So, um, you know, you, you go out of a really experienced crew, and they knew what shots to take. And then when you got to the edit, there would be a really experienced editor. Um, and obviously there was a really experienced puppeteer yeah. at my side. So, you know, I was fine. And I, and I worked out how to basically how to how to do television. But that was so intense. So when I got back from the studio in the few hours I had to myself in the evenings, if I watched TV, it was like I, I couldn't switch off. Like I'd be watching it and I suddenly the whole world opened up to me. Like I could see these. Oh, that's a cut. Oh, look, there's a wide shot. Oh, look. Um, ah, so that's why they do that. Oh, that's a free camera shoot. You know, and the whole, it was kind of like... Such an intense experience. Yeah, I couldn't relax. So um, just switching off from it all and, you know, slaying bats with Simon Belmont uh, was was uh, my escape, I guess. Yeah, no, it's that, it's, that, it's that flow state again. It's, you know, you get, even mm. if you're dying all the time, you know, there's still, it's the same thing, basically. It's just, you, you, it's the repetition of it and getting it perfect. Um, yeah so what like uh what was the first game by the way what was the the first review do you remember um i don't remember actually but um did you get loads of like hate mail and stuff (laughs) it should have been a 10 (laughs) well the brilliant thing about early satellite television is so um i used to present four hours of live early satellite television a week and the brilliant thing was that it was like no one had these square reels. That's obviously why it, it kind of folded after a year or folded into Sky. And so we didn't have many. We knew we didn't have much of an audience because when we would have really good prizes like a mountain bike, we'd just get like one or two competition entries. So like basically if you wrote in, you you got something good. So, um, yeah, so it was like you could say or do what you wanted, really. Um I, I only only once ever met anyone who watched that show. It's called Cool Cube. Uh, at at a nightclub, I was out at a nightclub one night in Manchester, and these two guys came up to me and they were like giggling and they were going, "Oh, we love your show. We love the stuff those make those when you were making a teenage new you know mutant ninja turtle out of half a melon <laughs> <laughs> and a sock, you know." And they were like, "They always go wrong." And I was like, "Yeah, right. That's because I'm invent." I'm, I'm desperately thinking what to do at 10 o'clock the night before because I just haven't had any time to make it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so we didn't get any, you didn't get, but, 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 despite that, the fact that we had no viewers, it's coming back to me now. I think the first review might have been Michael Jackson's Moonwalker, does that, yeah, on the yeah. Master System? Yeah. And he kind of did these dances and he kind of went, oh, or whatever he did and yep. did these dances and then the zombies would dance and die am i making that up i don't know it was something like that no it was and you, you it was like uh it was like almost like a shoot 'em up and you were like going through like isometric levels and stuff well that i think that was going to be our first review but then i found out that we weren't allowed to show it on television because um even though nobody watched our show michael jackson's legal department <laughs> was so far reaching that um we would have had to get a separate um permission to because it's got michael jackson in it in the game to show it on television or for his noises he was making and so (laughs) i think it was like it might even have been i don't know if that was the first one but it could have been that it was like you know there was a real created a real problem when we first started doing reviews because of that one game but the other games were fine so it might have been that that's amazing so (laughs) so presumably then that that's what kind of 
led you into doing uh, Bad Influence because you had this because nobody else had done game stuff on TV before. Um, well, yeah, in a, yeah, it was. So after that, um, I basically was completely hooked on games and uh, I continued to play the games and I did that show for a year and I left the show and I was I still had all the kit so I was playing it all oh, and amazing I you got to keep it all well yeah who else would I, suppose, I mean in a way yeah. the show ended I mean what do you you know just put it in a cupboard somewhere so I was playing it and then I I, um, I did an animal show for the BBC and uh, for one series and then after that I sort of did had a typical kind of actress TV sort of thing where suddenly I had no work so I was just playing games the whole time that's, that's pretty to, good that is pretty good but I was wondering what to do with my life I did feel like washed up at 22 or something and um and burnt out as you can imagine and um uh there was this um advert for a tv show on the children's channel which was an early satellite channel for Mario Brothers game game show Okay, and uh, I thought, oh, that would be like the best thing to do ever. So I literally spent about a month preparing for this audition uh, by just by playing Mario One <laughs> and learning all the names of the things and and you know learning all the shortcuts and all that sort of stuff. And it's brilliant. But in the end, I didn't get it. Uh, but to my, I mean, it made me feel a bit better when I discovered that the person who did get it was a Mario. Basically, had to dress up as Mario. So it's really believed in the end i think he think he did i don't know if you've heard of that one but, that's a gamble um, though if you're going into these <laughs> you're like right it's a mario show i could dress up as mario which way is this gonna go i'm either gonna get escorted out of the building or i'm getting the job <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um so but then i basically didn't get any work for a while so me and my boyfriend at the time just decided to go and get the cheapest flat we could and like play games and write books and do nothing for a year and that's what we did oh that sounds and, good um it was good but there was, there was an element of jeopardy about it like what what we're going to do at the end of this and as we were coming to the end of our money and realizing that we neither of us had any jobs and we didn't really know what to do uh we decided to splurge the last of our savings on um a trip around eastern europe and so we bought this old car and we went and we were about to go. And just before, about like a week before we went to leave, a friend of mine got in touch and said, oh, I've heard that this is program um, they're going to make about kids TV and video games. And, I, and, you know, all my friends knew I love computers and video games by now. Yeah. And he said, you know, it's, you know, and I always used to advise all my friends on computers and stuff. So I had, you know, I, I, but by then I had like, load, you know, I was known for knowing about computers and I was an early Mac user and and all the rest of it and bulletin boards and things like that. You were so an unofficial helpline basically. Yeah I was the unofficial <laughs> advisor and he said oh you know they're doing this thing about you know you should you should you should write to them so I thought oh yeah that sounds really good. So I wrote to the company and I said you know I really love and all I was thinking was oh, I can get some because I couldn't afford you know we had no money I couldn't afford any new games and I, I, I said, oh, I, I can get some games. So I said, oh, I'll, I'll, um, I'll write for the show. I'll research. I'll run. You know, this is my experience. I've done presenting. I've done researching. I've done writing. You know, can I have a role on your show? And then the guy said, oh, yeah, come and see me. And the only time he could see me was like the day that I was leaving for Eastern Europe with all my stuff for six weeks. So we went in our old Ford Cortina up to Yorkshire TV. <laughs> Uh, and we, we've loaded up with all our stuff, and I, 
and I jumped out and I had this like one hour kind of like coffee meeting with this guy at um, Bad Influence and uh, had a chat and then he said, oh, we'll let you know. And I went off and we went around Eastern Europe and did all this stuff. And then the day after I got back from Eastern Europe, I basically got a call to say they want you to, you know, they've got come back to you. They want you to come into the studio. So um, uh, I went in there and I discovered when I was there that this was like their kind of kickoff lunch. Like this is the pre-production meeting, like that I'd sort of been given the job and no one had sort of made it clear to me that I'd been given a job. <laughs> and also I sort of worked out from what people were saying it was that they wanted me to present it. And no one actually said that to me. <laughs> Pretty sure no one said that to me. And I'm like, I thought, and I didn't even really ask or say, are you sure? Because, because I was like scared that if I sort of said it, that they would realize they'd made a mistake. So, um, that was how, yeah. So that was how I got the job in Bad Influence. That's amazing. That is amazing. And was that like straight back from your trip? So you're, you're wearing kind of some sort of Eastern European uh, <laughs> outfit. So you're like, oh, hang on what? I've got the job. <laughs> 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 I wish I could say that was true. I really oh. wish I could. I would have liked that to have been true, that I was wearing an Eastern European hat or something. <laughs> I want to I briefly go back a little bit. Like when you were saying you you, you just like, right, we're going to take a year off and we're going to go to this flat and we're going to play games and write books and stuff. What what Were there any specific games from that sort of period that really sort of stand out for you, that major, like that really impressed the, or made an impression on you? Legend of Zelda 1. So um, I played that all the way through uh, with my boyfriend. Um, often as not, I would be, you know, because back then they didn't have proper dungeon maps and things like that, did they? No, no, and you I, had to like I, do it yourself, basically. So I got the graph paper and the coloured pencils. Oh, I had a fantastic system of logging which enemies were in which room so that we would be prepared because it was so nerve-wracking. Oh, that sounds um, really good. And uh, so I don't mind. Oh, it was just golden, like in every sense of the word. Um, you know, whether you're doing the maps or playing the game and those sort of slime things you had to cut and they'd go into two and, and oh, you know, the excitement and, and, and the, the, you know, the rigour of what you know, being prepared for each dungeon. Absolutely. And, uh, really hard, out. the original. I was really hard. And there was no internet or helplines or anything. And when we finished it, which we did, um, I then discovered, because I found, I found this old magazine, um, Nintendo, Nintendo official magazine, which had some kind of tip or something that said just type in Zelda and you get a whole separate adventure as your name rather than you know you type in your name at the beginning so I typed in Zelda and the whole map changes and all the dungeons change really? and all the challenges change yeah and I didn't so know then, that <laughs> oh so then I typed in Zelda and that whole um whole thing changed and it was the same but different um I'm going to take a, a brief a brief aside for some uh, relatively quick fire questions. Um, are, are you good? Are you good to go? Yeah, yeah, okay. Okay. Uh, so, Violet, if you if you had to play a game with uh, with death for your very mortal soul, uh, what game are you best at? Well, it would have to be that calculator game, obviously. <laughs> I can't be defeated on it. <laughs> <laughs> That's an excellent answer. 
Um, are you uh, a competitive gamer? Have, have you ever become locked in a high score battle with somebody, lost a friendship, etc.? No, not at all. I'm I I haven't really got competitive bone in my body where that's concerned. Um, I don't like losing. I wouldn't say you know I'm not like oh I don't care if I lose, um, but uh, I don't really care about score. I care more about story. Okay. Um, well, with that kind of idea in mind, I, I imagine this maybe doesn't apply to you. But if you're prone to such things, what is your worst rage quit? Um, so I, I'm not, I'm not prone to rage. I, I've only ever come close to it once, and sort of did it once. And the game was messing with me. Did you ever play um, Eternal Darkness on? Yes, the yeah, on the GameCube. GameCube. And do you remember those insanity effects? Yeah, it would like it would switch the controls, so like up was down and down was up and things like that. Mm-hmm. Well, what it did to me was that it told me that my I'd got really far, and it told me my disc had corrupted, and so it tricked me into restarting. Oh no! Isn't that cruel? <laughs> you just skip past it. It completely. <laughs> so i guess you could call that a rage quit oh no that is that is cool yeah and i just like i was so upset and angry and frustrated and like i just like really quickly and did it and if i'd even paused i would have realized hang on a minute you know you know about these insanity effects and that it's gonna the game is messing with you i love that game did you like it oh it was brilliant Mm. for exactly that reason that it did all this Mm. kind of wacky kind of metal gear solid style kind of meta stuff yeah. Uh, it's really good. Yeah. It's a shame. Yeah, yeah. It should, should be more. Um, yeah. And also I loved it because it was short. You know, yes. it wasn't It wasn't like you have to, because I played that when I had small children and you don't have any time for gaming. And, uh, you know, I could actually play it and finish it. And, and uh, you know, we need more of that, don't we? Yeah, that that is definitely something mm. that happens as I get older. Like I played uh, Inside last week. We played Inside. No, I haven't. It's like Tell from the, the people who did uh, Limbo. It's like the follow-up oh, to right. Limbo yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, oh, okay. And it's the same sort of game. Like, mm. you just, you know, very, very simple platforming, a couple of, uh, yeah. but like just insane levels of atmosphere, really. Yeah. It, do, it goes to, in directions I wasn't expecting, some really creative puzzles and stuff. Um, and it was, you know, three or four hours. And it was brilliant. And I was yeah. like, cool, done. And not like oh, I need to, I need to check in and get my my weekly quests and all that stuff, which uh, yeah. I find is yeah. often the case. Start up a new to do list, a meta to do list. Yeah, for yeah, your totally. Life. Yeah. <laughs> um, has there has there ever been a, a game that you've played that's kind of consumed your life to the point where you've had to uninstall it and walk away? Yeah. Well, there are games that I don't even start. Okay. Or look at a little bit and then go, nope. I, you know, I would love to, I'd love to just go off for two weeks with that game, you know, to a small cottage, lonely cottage, <laughs> you know, have a romance with that game. And Take then a year off back. and just play yeah, games exactly. and write a book. Yeah, that's why I need to do that again. Um, uh, I would love to, you know, but I, 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 you know, many, many, there are many, many, many games that I, you know, I have to deal with this constant, um, I'm sure lots of people do, this constant, like, the taunting from games that, like, you you would love to just go off and play. 
uh, but you can't even can't even go anywhere near it because it's it's not going to be enjoyable unless you devote your whole to it that yeah. you're allowed to have a lost weekend you know I mean, I'm so, I, I, I still get that, and I don't even even have any kids. Like, I can only imagine <laughs> the exponential change of that with, with children. But do you know what? It's less the children these days, because I've got teenagers. Um, so it's less about that now and more about work, that I'm always busy with work. And, I mean, it is a bit about that. But, I mean, I would love to. Like, my one of my sons in particular, you know, is always playing games. So, you know, we do play games together. And it's brilliant. I mean, that's like my idea of heaven is not playing on your own, but playing with one other person, really. Yeah. Just like take it in turns and like have that shared experience. And we love playing games together, like Breath of the Wild recently. I'm but, jealous. Uh, but no, but don't, don't, you can't be jealous because like we got the Switch, we got Breath of the Wild, and I was so excited that I was kind of antsy and aggy and like irritable, like because. Like, I just wanted everyone to go away and leave me alone with my new console. <laughs> and then, oh, apart from, apart from my son. And then, and then it's like, you know, you play it for a bit and it's, it's exactly the same syndrome where you start, you know, we're playing it and we were all kind of emotional and, oh, look at it, isn't it amazing? And look what you can do. And then you just, you can't just stop the whole world and dive into Hyrule. You have to kind of go off and do these wonderful things that I've, we've been talking about. You know, I love my job and what I do. But it's um, it's not Zelda. It's yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> it's you can't you know you can't do everything. Yeah, so, no, totally. But at least I know that he's off. You know, at least I know somebody's doing it, and I, I get to hang out with him while he's doing it. And he can relay his adventures back to you. Yeah, exactly. I can be part of it without kind of maybe taking on the full onerous task of yeah. saving Harold. You know. Oh, that's amazing. So, yeah. Um, mm. One of the sort of rarest things I, I find in games is is comedy. So uh, are there any games that have really made you laugh, Violet? No, there have been games that made me cry, but I haven't. Oh, maybe Sam and Max. Um, yeah. And Day of the Tentacle. They used to make me giggle. They did used to make me giggle. No, they're, they're, that's the, the classic LucasArts Lucas games. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They used to make me smile and, 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 and giggle, I think, because uh, they were very daft, weren't they? And, yeah, uh, it's good writing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But not really. It's hard. It's really hard to do laugh out loud video game stuff. So, so tell me about um, about bad influence. Then was that was that good? Was it as uh, as good as you'd hoped it to be? I suppose you didn't really have a lot of expectations going into it. Not going into it, I didn't really know what to expect. But of course, I'd done loads of live TV. I was really experienced. You know, I'd had hours and hours of TV by then. So, um, and was that the I... first video game show as well? Like official, all about video game show. Um. Well, I guess Games Master had started either earlier that year, possibly, or possibly the year before. I remember them both Something being around like at that. the same time. Yeah, yeah. Um, Games Master stole a march on it, and I can re I can remember Games Master coming on and really, you know, the first series and being so excited that there was a game show. Um, but I don't think, yeah, I don't think there was much in it. I think Games Master may have had one series, and then Bad Influence came along. Um, what was your question again? Just how how was it like? What what? Oh yeah, how it was did it really, turn out? Yeah, was it, it, was, it was amazing. It was really amazing. I got on television. I got to uh, got all those games. Um, like <laughs> you got the games. After. That was the most important. Got the games. That was amazing. No, but it was good. You know, there were great people. I got on really well with the production team, and uh, you know, it's always about the relationships and any job, isn't it? Yeah. And um, and Nam Rude, did you watch Bad Influence? Yeah, of course. 
Uh, well, I don't know, of course, because it's like, if you think about it, uh, Bad Influence had four series and it went out something like between 1992 to 96. So you have to have been someone watching children's TV between that time. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm prime Bad Influence audience. Like, I, they used to, it used to be on the same night as Games Master. It was a Thursday night and I was always very excited because <laughs> I got to see Bad Influence and Games Master. Um, so what was your impression? of? Did you like Bad Influence? Oh, I loved it. Yeah, I loved it. Uh, mm. because like even if it had been terrible it would have just been whatever it's, it's shown me games because this is you know yeah all all i'd had previous to that were, were magazines and stuff and that's screenshots you get to see actual footage of actual games um uh, yeah it was amazing and like the, the thing that, that bad influence kind of was a bit better than games masturbate was the the scope of things that you talk about like there was always so many weird not weird things but it wasn't just like here's the latest games that are out. it's like here's virtual reality here's this random like technical software that they're using to make these new films did you do i'm sure you did there was a pixar thing somewhere mm. lots mm. of that sort of stuff like just the fringes of technology much more of a, a magazine show than a straight up yeah. kind of well, competition it, 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 it's billing, as you completely identified, it was like a junior tomorrow's world. Okay. That's how, that's how we saw it. It was part of the factual entertainment sort of, that was its category, factual entertainment. So it was like, it, you know, we went to be telling people things in a fun way. Um, and it did all of that. And it was brilliant. And I got to, you know, go to Japan and go to America. And, you know, I met the president of Sega and 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 got my face morphed when, you know, yes. it was only starting yeah. out. Do you remember all that? I do. And uh, one episode, um, I, I um, why did I even do that? I, I, I was pushed into the um, North Sea. And had to be rescued <laughs> by a navy diver. He had to dive from a helicopter into. I can't even remember why I had to do that. What was that about? Maybe that wasn't bad influence. Maybe that was another show. Maybe it that was just a really, that. really mad weekend. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe it was about a simulation of a navy helicopter or something. Or maybe that was another show I made. But um, but uh, yeah, and I got on really well with Nam Rude, who was the, um, you know, as you know, the Cheeks guy. He was brilliant. What a lovely guy. I only um, just got recently that it's Doorman backwards, like yes. literally about a month ago. And I thought <laughs> I'll watch an old episode on YouTube. I said, like, oh, it's Doorman. <laughs> that was the producer of the show. He was like, he was like really pleased with that one. Um, <laughs> um, and yeah. Uh, yeah, it was it was a blast. It was an absolute blast. It was it was you know. And did it like um, I mean I'm sure it had it definitely did, but just I'm I'm wondering maybe in what regard it kind of changed your appreciation of games because you know you suddenly got to see kind of everything. It was like you were saying earlier about you know going behind the scenes at a big museum. Suddenly you had like you got to meet all the people behind the games and see all well, the did, things in the future. Yeah, absolutely. So I suddenly had this crash course in video games in a way, uh, but it didn't so much come from Bad Influence. It more came from what was happening simultaneously to Bad Influence. So from about a week after I started doing Bad Influence, I started uh, writing and reviewing games for newspapers and radio. So what happened was that um, I got the job and like almost immediately the Observer magazine rang me up and said oh we need um you know a, a video game reviewer you know we've got this 
new page on video game reviews at the back of our magazine, you know, picture byline and everything, or would you do it? Because <laughs> I'm on television, basically. Um, I was like, you know, obviously I'd never written um, for a newspaper or magazine before, but who's going to turn that down? Exactly. Yes. Um, and then I started up a syndicated newspaper column, uh, which went out in all sorts of newspapers around the country. And I started appearing regularly on like other shows, talking about video games and this, that, and the other. And so because of these separate sort of like, um, you know, reviews and all the rest of it, I basically got in touch with all the video game companies on my own behalf and got them to send me all the games. It's basically, um, if you think about it, Presenting Bad Influence, that was, it was a 13-week series, you know, one one series a year. So yeah. that's like a couple of days' work, really, uh, for 13 weeks of the year. That's not going to, you know, keep hunger from the door or yeah. keep me busy. So I had all this time just to, like, completely immerse myself in games and, um, and uh, you know, kind of, you know, become a writer. <laughs> So, so uh, once again, you get to spend a year writing stuff and playing video playing games. Playing games, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been so unlucky, I know. I, I, uh, do you it know, was brilliant, yeah. Do you know why there was, like, uh, thinking about this time period, like, there was, like, in the sort of early 90s, this sudden boom of, like, games media. Like, you'd start to see stuff in newspapers, and obviously uh, it was Games Master and Bad Influence, and there was, what was the one on Sky? There was one on Sky as well games that, world that wasn't until later oh was it games world it was only a few years later but it certainly wasn't until maybe well maybe it wasn't that much later but it wasn't right that, yeah it did come up didn't it about two yeah. years after bad influence or but something it was like, like that was yeah. like the the super nintendo and mega drive sort of era yeah. it just it seems yeah. weird to me that that's that's what sparked this sort of resurgence of it mm. um I've no, I, I've no idea. I think the media can work like that, though, can't it? You get one or two things, and then you know, everyone else jumps on the bandwagon. Yeah, or I suppose. But it was and a, didn't last for that long either. Really. No, that's the weird thing is that it, like Games Master kind of made it to the PlayStation era, but then kind of fizzled out. When you'd think that would be when they kind of all come back again and you know be really like, super popular. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we, we, I can remember did, we did. were reviewing the the PlayStation which we now call the PlayStation 1, um, uh, right at sort of showing the, you know, the very first kind of glimpses of it in the last series of Bad Influence. Yeah, and then crazy. And then, yeah, it was mad. I, I, I can offer no uh, interpretation of that at all. So from this period then, like, what, as well as, you know, getting access to all these, these, these games, like, were there specific things that kind of stood out to you and made you kind of be like, oh, man, this is... Like this is a serious. Th- this has potential to be like a serious cultural thing, or was that later? Or I mean, obviously it was already, but you know, more so than just a fun distraction. I didn't care about that at all, to be honest. Um, I I, I didn't think that it, I didn't. It always seemed to me that the rest of the video game industry and many people were always a little bit. Um, oh, does this sound bad? This is probably really. Sick. I can't think of a way to express it. Sort of short man syndrome okay, about okay. video games. Do you know what I mean? Like, no, I do. Um, like a, the whole industry has like a chip on its shoulder. Kind yeah, of thing. yeah. Always like oh, you know, but oh, we're not as cool as music, or oh, it's just games, or it's a bit sad. Like they all, everyone sort of seemed to feel that they were like 
that this industry was a bit of a scruffy underdog. Yeah. And and not really worthwhile, although some people really, you know, believed it was worthwhile and should have serious coverage. And then other people believe that um, that that the, the people who believed it would have should have serious coverage were even sadder than them. Yeah. So, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's like having a pinball column in a newspaper. Yeah. That was the equivalent. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but um, but um, it, I just I never really cared in those terms. I mean, you can't. In a way, you can't be someone who stood out as probably well I was the, mostly the only woman that I ever saw at any of the game shows or you know uh I was quite uh kind of lonely in my gender let's say yeah. uh around that time as a games player and you can't kind of be you know a culture of one and then look around and and kind of go oh should it be more and think of it in those sorts of terms does that make sense yeah no it does and it's it's interesting actually because like bad influences is very much the outlier in that like uh this has come up on the show before like about the the, how kind of games kind of became a bit gendered especially in the 90s um because when i was growing up like i i never would have considered that girls like to play video games and I would almost be like, oh, I'll keep it a bit secret because it's not cool and girls won't like me if I'm into video games. So it was exactly that kind of mentality. And through talking to various people on the show and stuff, like part of that I think is uh, the, the video game press in the 90s was, it was all for boys. Like all of the adverts were, were for boys, all of the TV stuff. There was, there was nothing. It was all just like monsters and blood and gore and teenage boys sort of screaming and cheering and stuff. But Bad Influence wasn't that. And, like, noticeably looking at the shows now, like, such a, a massively diverse cast of, of presenters and audience as well, like a real sort of mixed gender of people. It didn't it didn't seem like that at all, but it was probably one of the few exceptions. It's because it was the remit. Um, Children's ITV was, like, obviously a mainstream channel. Uh, we had 5 million viewers at, at the peak you know, it was it was it was in, it was proper mainstream. Like you know, you'd come into school and probably everyone had watched it. Um, and uh, when you make those shows, you have to get a fifty-fifty audience, or you know, ITV aren't going to show it. It wasn't like say Games Master on Channel Four was they could be niche. That was the whole point of Channel Four. Yeah. I think it went out as a sports show, even from what I've read. You know, it was kind of because they were playing games against each other. That's the way they saw it. It's like a games kind of competition show. Okay. But so they were allowed to be as as you know what they what they were. Lots but, of boys um, in cages. Yeah, boys in cages. <laughs> Lovely. Um, but um, bad influence had to be. You know, we had to appeal to girls, and we did get equal, pretty much equal girls and boys at least for the first three series, yeah. as far as I know. So. Um, yeah. So, and that, you know, that, that was, you know, I'm really, really, really proud to have been part of that. I mean, you know, I didn't instigate it. I can't really take the credit for it, but I'm really proud to have been part of it. It was, it was, um, it was, uh, you know, a good thing. I can, I can totally hear the cat now. Can you? <laughs> yeah, it's super loud. It's fine. You you- it just seemed, seemed to be undercutting your point a little bit. <laughs> Maybe he's doing it on purpose. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, he's trying to do, he does it on Gareth's podcast as well. I don't know if you listen to Gareth's I podcast. I do sometimes, yeah, I do. Yeah, the cat features quite a lot. Yeah, That's fine, that's fine. Um, so, like, what did you do after Bad Influence then? Like, did you 
was that you kind of set with games for life kind of thing were you just still buying all the new stuff and playing what you could I, I continued you know all my reviewing and everything for a little while but uh I my interests kind of what's the word I've been doing games for about intensely for about four years yeah and my interests it's almost like you know a master's degree or something isn't it yeah yeah and uh hang on, I'm gonna have to move that cat because he's um, my interests kind of shifted slightly. So, you know, you start to get the same sorts of games coming around again yeah. and, and, and all the rest of it. And, uh, oh, that's right. I got asked to do lots of radio for things like Woman's Hour, like early internet stuff for Woman's Hour. And um, I shifted into a lot of World Service BBC Radio for their science unit. Okay. And that absolutely i mean i was so excited and i love i listened to the world service bbc world service i love it and i became i started presenting their technology their weekly technology show so i was writing presenting shows on technology and then that broadened out into other science topics and inventions and um and general science documentaries and i started doing little reports for the news and all that so i I was continuing to do game stuff but i had this whole radio thing going on at the same time which was all about science and I just became um, absolutely like in love. And that, I think, probably is when I really became, you know, we were talking right back at the beginning. And you said, well, what, how did you, when did you know you always wanted to know about the world? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that really awoke something in um, or allowed something to kind of develop in me. Because um, I had um, switched off myself to science at school. I didn't do any science GCSEs. And... Uh, uh, and I, uh, in particular, I've been brought up to believe in evolution and things like, uh, no, the opposite, a creation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, we, you know, uh, you know, you don't think it, but it's kind of stuff filters in. Absolutely. And then su suddenly I started realizing, oh, hang on a minute. It isn't like I kind of thought when I was growing up, it's like completely, I had never really questioned these assumptions or these things that have been like programmed into my brain. So, um, uh, suddenly this you know sort of scientific inquiry which had been kind of if you like you know frowned upon when you're brought up in a religious background yeah it's um, like this is secret society stuff almost like <laughs> well it's like you don't you know you just you know obey whatever you know whatever the God forbidden says knowledge whatever. <laughs> exactly <laughs> um so it was a slow burn but um I, I you know i just learned so much about you know sort of everything and and, and i and i love doing that and from that i i diversified and started i got a job in children's tv doing something called the big bang which was um oh of course you did yeah that yeah, was yes. great science and engineering on on uh for kids on television and, and loads of experiments and tricks and filming maybe that's when i was thrown out of a helicopter okay <laughs> that may have been when i was thrown out of the helicopter no i wasn't thrown out of the helicopter i thrown off the i was hauled into the helicopter by the navy diver but anyway that's yeah so and and so i sort of went through even though i was still doing technology and games to a certain extent i completely broadened out to kind of more ad, also adult radio and yeah. science and all that sort of stuff um yeah so um uh until i came back to games um when i had my first child uh, so I thought kind of my game, my days of games TV were over. Uh, uh, and then I had my first child and then I was still doing the big bang. And then I had my second child and, um, what happened was that, oh, that's right. I, I, I couldn't do the big bang anymore because, um, and I couldn't do a lot of my work anymore. 
uh, because I had two children very close together. And um, the second birth, the second one clashed completely with the filming of the Big Bang. So I couldn't okay. do the Big Bang. And then I couldn't do the BBC radio anymore because, frankly, it doesn't pay very well. And um, you can't afford the childcare and to work in radio. That's what I found. <laughs> yeah. As you can imagine. Man, these you kids ruining everything. I know. They spoiled <laughs> it all. I couldn't play games anymore. Can I go back? <laughs> um <laughs> Um, and, um, so I was actually quite desperate because suddenly I had two children and, you know, no, no work. And then, um, I was due to have the second baby during the big bang. And that was Gareth's job as well. My partner. Yeah. So, um, he didn't want to go off and make this program. Um, whilst I was off having a baby, I had, you know, a 12 month old baby and basically they were very close together. I don't know, I had a 13 month old baby and then the next one came along sort of thing, something like that or 14 months and the next one came along and I was totally desperate. And then I got asked to do present, just present this reversioned show called, um, games bot TV, which was reversioned from an American show for Bravo. And I wouldn't normally just do that sort of like, just turn up and, read the words sort of thing but I did because I was desperate for the money and the guy who did it was nice and um afterwards there was another series and then I was desperate with this situation and then I didn't know what to do so I went to Bravo and I said to the commissioner are you making another series a gamepad and he went well yeah probably and I said well my tv show company can make that show for you you know I bet we can make it like cheaper and stuff and he said, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm really interested. Yeah, that would be really good. So I went home and started a TV company. <laughs> <laughs> the same week, the, the week before I had my second baby, basically. And then we started making Gamepad. So then we made, made three, um, uh, me and Gareth made three series of Gamepad for Bravo, which got in, you know better and better and better, but had a very small team. Uh, and that's when um, our mutual friend Raf got involved. Oh, of course, yeah. During this sort of like period, like in between these two sort of game shows, like were you still playing any games, or was you know when you started doing GamePad, was that like rediscovering like because you know that that there's a, there's a chunk of time between that, so games would have changed like drastically in that period. Yeah, it was it was amazing actually because they had changed drastically, and uh, yeah. So had it, it was, been like you know was yeah, it, it was like totally rediscovering? Because, okay, cool. Because. Um, because I, like I said, I had, had two children very close in succession, and was trying to kind of like, you know, make money, and you know, hold down a job. So, um, uh, so it, you know, there's no, you know, what time, no time is there? Yeah. yeah, what time is there for playing games? So, yeah. Aside from the art eternal darkness, which uh, yeah, drove you to was... delete your save. <laughs> Well, I only got to play Eternal Darkness because I found this old, this fantastic GameCube screen that I'd somehow been sent for something that I'd been reviewing. A GameCube and screen? I, I, yes. I put a screen on my GameCube and I played it in bed. So it's like a mobile GameCube? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like a screen you could just attach to it and plug in at the back. Yeah. That's insane. That's like, no, that's just... Like, you know, and there I was. I it wasted had a little it. handle and everything for carrying it around with you. That's why they um, had the handle. Have you seen? Oh, yes, yeah, exactly. No, just the yeah. GameCube itself has got a handle. Yeah. Yeah, like, what's right. the point in that? Yeah, yeah. And I had, like, yeah, you just needed the screen. You just needed you didn't the, have screen. the screen. Yeah. 
Oh man, that's amazing. So, so like during the sort of the, the gamepad time, were there any games that kind of stood out to you or like made a, a real impression on you? I mean, one of the best things was how um, music games had come on for me. All those rhythm games. Yeah. Um, I like. I just adore those rhythm games. And, it's my favourite yeah, genre, Violet. Oh, yeah, they're so brilliant. And um, all the, um, you know, amplitude and, yeah, and frequency. Um, and frequency yes. And, Space Channel 5. And oh. Space Channel 5. Did you watch Gamepad? Yeah, I did. Yeah, well, you would have seen quite a bit of that then. You yeah. noticed that we tended to cover them. That was definitely like the glory period for, for rhythm games. You don't get as much <laughs> it really speed. Was. But there was so a really lucky. good five or six years where there was just tons of brilliant ones. Dance Dance Revolution, but that was a, that was out a bit beforehand because I can it wasn't it because I can remember taking my dance mat when I was pregnant, quite heavily pregnant, taking my rolled up dance mat around to my friend Matt's house so that we could do two player Dance Dance Revolution <laughs> and just thinking I'm not going to be able to do this for much longer. <laughs> so yeah. Oh no, it's such a good time. Yeah. I know. I like the bit. You know what I like? I like the bit where we were just naming music rhythm games. <laughs> I mean, just continue. Come on, your turn. <laughs> oh, but see, that's this is it though. They're like it, it's quite limited. You know, there's there's not a huge domain. <laughs> and and then you had obviously you had the 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 resurgence with Guitar Hero and Rock Band and stuff, which are yes. amazing. I actually literally just like two days ago, uh, I was feeling not anxious. It's the wrong word, but just angry at the world. Very much angry at the world uh, and frustrated. So I dug out my uh, old Xbox and dusted off my, my drum kit and just played drums for about five hours solid. It was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. I, I've never played that. I'm scared of it. Oh, what? It's, it's incredible. I, I genuinely, I've, I learned how to play uh, the drums from playing rock band. Oh, serious? Like, because I, I got, I've got, like, I've spent, I can't even tell you how much money I've spent over the years on various rock band things. But I've got, like, the full pro drum setup. Um yeah, and I can play. I can play like pro expert level, and uh, the only the only caveat to that is that if I were to play like on a real set with a real band, you'd have to chart the song in a in a rock band track <laughs> for me to understand it. That's the only way I can read the music. I can't actually read like real drum music. But <laughs> um, oh, you've completely convinced me now. I'm going to have to put. It's just going to go on my list though. My list of things I'm going to do in my old people's home, which is. <laughs> from my current you know calculations the next time i'm going to get a chance to do all the things that i want to do yeah, that, oh, yeah. i'm saving uh massively multiplayer online games that's my retirement <laughs> like I never played way but when i get to 65 yeah. that's it and hopefully by then fully yeah. immersive haptic feedback all sorts of good stuff yeah agree yeah yeah i'll be there <laughs> Weirdly, the, the funnily enough, the, the, when I was watching, I watched the, an old episode of Influence, like I said a couple of weeks ago, uh, and VR really featured heavily. There was a whole feature on, oh, is VR going to be in the home anytime soon? And I was like, man, that's it's taken it's taken its time. The like, just literally was, this year is the only time it's happened. Yeah, the producer was completely obsessed with um, Lawnmower Man and how that was going to be the future. And I never saw that film, but. Um, uh the, the i remember we reviewed the game and it, it just which is a bit of a weird thing like a game of vr like yeah. how is it ever going to live up to anything um, it was actually a really uh, good game that the lawnmower man game because it was like oh, was a weird it? hybrid of like a platformer and then you had these cool kind of you know 
low more man style kind of flying sections like almost like res like very early res mm. um probably terrible mm. now but at the time it yeah was like, this is amazing yeah i never I never really played it yeah uh so how about like now or over the past sort of 10 years do you still uh find time for games you're saying your kids are playing games as well now uh more so like recently i mean i mean i do still you know i do still pick things up but it's it's kind of, you know, occasionally we'll play, uh, you know, something. Like, I, I, I've had, you know, happy hours playing with uh, with my younger son, particularly. He's very keen on games. And I'm really relieved to say he's got such good taste as well. He okay, doesn't play, good. you know, any of the games that I wouldn't really be interested in. And, uh, for example, like one of my highlights over the last few years was when we played, um, do you remember Papers, Please? We played play Papers, Please together. Really? Yeah. How old, how, old <laughs> you, how old was your son when you were playing that? That's, that's quite an intense game for a kid. Oh, we loved it so much. We had such a plan to get as many people through into, like, you know, out of the country as possible. That's really and not it- the wholesome family game I was expecting you to name. <laughs> Let's just gather around on the sofa and play Papers, Please. <laughs> Fun for all the family. So he likes he likes Minecraft a lot. So he's always like building worlds, especially for me. So I come and play with him in it. And uh, um, we do Papers, Please. We've done, uh, we do, obviously do Zelda. I Obviously, um, I was a really strict parent. I didn't really let them play games when they were younger. Really? Yeah. Uh, until well, not until they were kind of not until they'd done all the Lego and this, that, and the other. Okay, okay. Just you know, because you know, otherwise, when do you do all that stuff? Exactly. Okay, fair enough. You know, you need time to do all that. But as soon as they were kind of old, bit older, and then all their friends, you know, and it was I, I couldn't couldn't hold the floodgates back without being weird. Yeah. I like got out my old nares and my snares for them. And then they, so they, they actually learned games through, up through in the right order. That is impressive. There was actually, there was a... It's demented, isn't it? No, funny enough, there was a guy, I can't, I can't think of the, his name. He does, I think it's the guy that does waxy.org and I can't yeah. think of his name, but he did a, an experiment with his, his kid basically where he's like, right, I'm going to do it like month by month. So you start on a Atari 2600 and you can play these games and then the next month we'll move on to 8-bit and then 16-bit. And uh, he found, I think this is when the kid was about 10, maybe. Mm-hmm. And he found that the by the end of it, the kid had the most unbelievable sort of twitch skills, like more so than anyone else, because he had just <laughs> gone through the whole lineage of games. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think it's the right, you know, in a way you can't go, well, you can go back. Some people, I mean, I think some, some kids do like the early games. But I was very proud um about a year ago, him and all his friends used to come back home uh, after, you know, on Saturday Saturdays and uh, to play, have Mega Man tournaments. Oh, that's pretty you know? good. So they were like, oh, they all, they, you know, they all had the latest games at home, but they all wanted to come here to take turns to see who could, like, do better at Mega Man. And, uh, you know, so I, I, I like to think that he's got, like, a proper kind of appreciation. And also he played, you know, you know, Zelda... Um, uh, you know, um, ocarina of time and so forth, and 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 now plays the ocarina. So I feel my work here is done. Really. <laughs> I'm, I'm now just thinking: was your your real ulterior motive of <laughs> making your kids play through the entire history of games so you could 
uh, take out a copy of uh, Micro Machines 2 on the Mega Drive and be like, hey, recognize anybody in this uh, game? Well, well, I don't need to anymore because I'm going to be in the new one. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, amazing. Yeah. He's just id, actually. So they, they phoned me up Which this I should, week. I should, I should preface this, that you were, you were a playable character in Micro Machines 2 on the Mega Drive. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I mean, that's... But the thing is, that's... You know, when at the beginning you sort of said introduce yourself, and I and I didn't, I should have just said that, and that would be because <laughs> that's what people most say to me or ask me about. That's the thing, you know, because it was such a good game. It was such oh, it's an amazing game. game. Uh, I was so lucky to be in. How did that games. happen? Just just to give it some backstory, like was that just because you had met them from doing the show? Um. So Codemasters rang me up and asked me if I would be a character in Micro Machines 2. And I played Micro Machines 1 and I loved it and I like knew it was going to be good, or had a sense it was going to be a good game. Yeah. And I knew it was going to have, you know, those brilliant features that it had all those extra ports in it so you could have four people playing, couldn't you? Four joypads yeah, yeah, yeah. like a drive cart without the um, multi-tap and all that sort of stuff. And um, so I said yes on one condition. And the condition is that I'm the fastest female character and I'm the fastest character when you do AI, when it's AI. And the reason I said that was because um, I played Mario Kart a lot. And I don't know if this is true or not. Maybe you can tell me if this is true. But I think that when you play against the computer in Mario Kart, Bowser's quite often last. Am I wrong? Did I just imagine that was just that just in the games I played Mario Kart on the? I, I can't say I ever really considered it. It doesn't sound wrong, but mm, it's not but something I think about. That's what it seemed to me. It seemed to me. I, I always seemed to notice. Oh, his Bowser coming last, or whatever. Okay. And I didn't want to be the Bowser. I could just imagine <laughs> myself. <laughs> you know, no one wants to be the Bowser. No. So I could just imagine myself like saying, "Oh yeah, I'll be in the game," and then like whenever anyone plays against the computer, like there's Violet always coming. <laughs> so I just, you know, guarding, guarding slightly against that, and um, and they went, "Oh, we can't make you the fastest character because Spider is the fastest character, and Spider uh, is traditionally, you know, from the first game." Yeah. And like, I kind of understood that. I was a bit peeved that you know it would have been really cool if they'd had a female character as the fastest, wouldn't it? Yeah. But I did understand that, so I went, "Well, okay, I have to be the far- second fastest character, like the fastest female, but the second fastest character." And they went, "Yeah, okay." Now I don't even know if that ever got implemented, or if that <laughs> was true. So I'm—I don't know. I did, but but what I did notice that I was the most important thing was that I don't think my character was the Bowser. Oh, it definitely so, wasn't. No, definitely. No, wasn't. it wasn't the Bowser. So, and that's something to bear in mind if you ever play it again. If you notice, like, if that if that programming ever got put in. But so when I said yes, they just like asked for a picture and they did a did a did a cartoon and then um yeah and then and then that that was that i was in it and then we did a little feature which was probably their reason for asking that we did a slight kind of mention of it on bad influence yeah. as a kind of a throwaway kind of gag at the end of one of the shows or something oh man so like weirdly i played that game that was like a big hit in university yeah, I mean, in like a... the early 2000s though this was and the reason oh, really? the reason was because uh someone had like a mega drive emulator and had a bunch of games and you could quite happily get four people not quite happily but you could conceivably get four people on a keyboard to play Mm. four player micro machines all huddled together Mm. because it was you know only like three buttons 
and so that was yeah. that became a big thing yeah uh, yeah, just it was, yeah just three buttons and and just such a brilliant multiplayer game like you could just barge people off the oh, table the best. Over, couldn't you yeah and so yeah. you're in the new one as well yeah so and, and this this is i've only just learned this very exciting because uh, um i got an email i think last week uh from because people have been getting in touch with me and saying are you going to be in the what's it called micro machines world series i think yeah and people have been getting in touch with me and saying are you going to be in it and i was like well i don't know no one said anything. And then someone emailed me from Codemasters and she said, oh, we've been making this game. And then we suddenly realized that we were, we were going to have all the retro characters in it. And we suddenly realized that like, you're real and we should ask for <laughs> permission. Um, so, and I did the same thing again. I sort of said, well, what about the AI? And I asked her, <laughs> and I asked her if I was going to be the Bowser. Um, and, I asked her because I've always been curious what what the programming was. So, like, am I the fastest female character? Yeah, or... yeah, yeah. And she didn't really she didn't really know. Um, but apparently, you know, but she explained how it would all work, and uh, and I'm not going to be the Bowser. So yeah, I'm going to be um, I'm going to be in the new one. That's but, exciting. But my, my old picture, obviously, like not like a new picture. But yeah, that's really exciting. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Well. I, I think I think that's quite a nice place to stop, actually, with this, this okay. world exclusive news. But uh, if there's anything that hasn't kind of come up, anything you you wanted to mention, please do. Or if you want to point people in the direction of anything where they can find you online, if if you if you want people to find you online, <laughs> uh, please take the opportunity. Can't think of anything. This is I know I've never. It's one of the reasons I don't do um, interviews and stuff very much. In a way, is that like it's like you know it's busy life. I haven't got that much time, and I also got no kind of you know imperative to because yeah, go to the know, museum. I'm not like yeah, I'm not like you know writing books or games. I did yeah. write some proper game, you know, some computer proper computer games like a year or so ago. Oh really. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I was so excited. I got invited by a company to write um, two kind of games, like narrative games, um, one on Dracula and one, rather excitingly, Doctor Who. Oh, amazing. I know. And it was like the best thing that, you know. I mean, so I where, where are they? What, like, um, Well, sadly, what happened was, so, I, I mean, it went well and I did the first round and I did the concept and then the BBC accepted the concept and that helped them get the license for Doctor Who and so forth. And then um, not so long ago, the, the company went under, so the games aren't going to be made. Oh, no. So, yeah, so I thought, oh, at last I'll have done actually something that, you know, I can, you know, people can play or I can play and, you know, uh, on a computer at home. But, um but uh, yeah, I know. It's sad, isn't it? Oh, I but, wish I wish it had last night would end on an end on a day. I know time. we're so happy, but no, but I'm still happy that I got yeah, absolutely. Who story and that the BBC liked it and then the computer game liked it and like you know it was Doctor Who. And these things are never always fully dead. There's always a chance things get no. picked up again. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you know what? I've got all that experience now exactly. as well. So, um, so you know, I mess around a lot with interactive fiction and all the rest of it. Do you do that? That sort of thing? No, like I've never twine done that. and all that. You yeah, do twine. Twine is like the best. I know, but see, the thing about this is, like, I I was in bands, right? And I've done, I've made films. I'm still writing stuff for the theatre, and games are one of the few kind of creative things that I just I just enjoy. It would eat your life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But no, I, I do love that. Like, it's, it's a weird thing with interactive fiction. One of the... 
one of the things I dislike about it, the, the reason it's never really grabbed me is because of um, the pacing of it, because the pacing is really difficult. And one the, the one of the ones recently that I really loved was 80 Days on the yes. iPhone. Like, I loved that. And I spoke to yes. Meg. Meg was one of the first people I had on the show, in fact, because I loved that game so much. And the the pacing of that was just perfect, the way you move through it. And John, actually, who you, who you spoke to yesterday, bizarrely, uh, Rez, yes. the stories untold. <laughs> Like the yeah. House of Abandon is is brilliantly paced. Oh, it's so good. Have you played the other ones of those? I haven't actually yet. No, not yet. I've well, only I, played I that. I played the second one yesterday, and it kind of there's a there's a, a link from from, from the House of Abandon. Okay. And uh, I'm definitely going to play the last two. No, it's really really good. It's just like I, I love his writing actually because it he. He doesn't overwrite. Yeah, no, and he doesn't. A He's lot really of good. a lot of interactive. Oh, that's a, that's a tendency. Yeah. Um, with interactive fiction and also computer game narrative is to overwrite, and it's just distilling it down to like the few words that like do it all. You know. Yeah, that's good. Well, that's a happier place. I mean, we just went off and yeah. started chatting there, but that's absolutely fine. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> mm. No, that that genuine. That was that was amazing. Thanks very much, Violet. I'm really okay. glad we got to get together and finally do it it was brilliant yeah 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 ditto ditto Good. yeah 